Welcome to Influence Me, a series of podcasts where the prime focus is leadership. I'm Assistant Commissioner Andrew Short, and I'm going to be hosting a series of podcasts where I get to interview a variety of guests, both internal and external to QFES. The topic is something extremely important to us, and one that is central to the success of QFES. I want to talk with these guests about leadership, and I want to learn more about leadership from the thoughts and experiences of others. I want to be influenced. Today's guest, Michael Grinder, is a master of and world-renowned expert in the power of influence, the science of nonverbal communication, nonverbal leadership, group dynamics, advanced relationship building skills and presentation skills. After years of experience as a teacher, Michael has been speaking at conferences and conducting seminars on his areas of expertise across the world. He has, for years, been seen as America's educator of educators and is an expert on learning. His work with many education districts and schools has transformed the levels of teaching and learning. Michael has for a number of years been visiting Australia, working with uh, both private sector and public sector to help leaders and indeed team members become better communicators, particularly in the area of nonverbal communication. It's such an honor to have him with me today. Michael, thank you very much for agreeing to be part of this podcast. The first question I'm going to ask you is a pretty big question. It's going to speak to your experience and time being with many groups, corporate or education. Given that this podcast series is about leadership, the question I'm going to ask you is what are the big issues now for organisations from a leadership perspective mm-hmm. in 2019? That is a huge question. There is some common denominators from profit, nonprofit, from education, from uh, medical, from corporate. One of them that seems to be across all those styles of organization is that the definition of what is leadership has changed. If I go more than just 2019, but I go farther back, I think the biggest shift that we have going on is that A leader used to have answers. A leader could give us a vision and we would move towards. You still have to have the vision. But what we have now is leaders that when they're effective, indicate to the troops we're going to be okay, apart from the fact that we don't know the answer. And I must agree with that. I see that within our own organization. I see our leaders uh, grappling, and I'll use the word grappling, with the duality of at times. And and our organization, as you know, is a organization which provides emergency response. And so uh, we have leaders who are required to be that person who can provide direction and answers pretty quick operationally. Yet, uh, if we take them out of that world into their um, non-operational or non-emergent world, I see that very concept that you described uh, playing out. So it's almost like they need to be two people. They actually have to have the desire to still want to have solutions solutions, but they have to be comfortable providing sanity instead of solutions. Yeah, I love that expression. Now, yesterday we spoke about how our leadership efforts here in QFES mm-hmm. are very much focused on that a big part of it is people being able to lead self. I'd be interested in your views or your comments around what that means for you. Because I specialize in the area of nonverbal communication, So what does the person's face, voice, body, and breathing look like? What we find is, how do you know if someone has permission from themselves to do the job that they have to do when it becomes a sticky wicket? 
when it's not really clear and well sorted and it's gray. And, well, and don't people want, want clarity? Oh my goodness. And they want it to be simple. Yes. And that's, I agree, that's one of the things. 20 I, years ago, they yeah. would have been fine. Yeah, but not yeah. now. Sorry. Yeah, no, I, yeah. I, yeah, I agree. It's, it's an evolving world. So how do we know when we look at someone in operation if they're comfortable with the difficult conversations? If they breathe high, they don't have permission from themselves. If they breathe low, they have permission. And it's that simple. Yeah. Um, and therefore, uh, you know, it's a bit of a um, leading question, really, Michael. I, I do believe that w when I do have leaders, young leaders come and want to talk with me about what things they should or shouldn't be doing, I do find myself pointing them back to themselves, as in understanding themselves, and then, then exploring what they need to work on yeah. themselves. And I think you know, the points you make fit, fit in very nicely. Yeah. If I may introduce to our listeners, the concept of dog and cat. It's transferring your knowledge of household pets to people. So when you call a dog, it comes. When you call a cat, if your voice doesn't sound like the can opener in the kitchen, why should it? <laughs> so what we find is that the lower level of any organization is where the dogs live. And the higher level is where the cats live. So then the question is, when we promote people, we can't promote them past their level of catness because they start breathing high, because they want to be liked, they want mateship, and especially one of the big shifts we have going on in both of our cultures is that there is a huge movement that says that female leadership statistically is going to be better than male leadership, and that is an absolute threat to half the population that have been on the top for many, many decades. Why are we saying research, that females have better capability than males. Because a female can do relationship and issue simultaneously. A male has duality. He can do one or the other, but he can't do both. In Australia, respectfully as a guest, the idea of mateship tends to apply to half the population and not the other half. So as we start merging towards more females being in high positions, it's going to be a huge shift and an adjustment for the males to understand the difference between a male and a female leadership style. This is really interesting. Can you tell me more about the nuances between the two? A female will make more eye contact than a male. A female will have a softer voice that kind of rolls up and down compared to a male that tends to be John Wayne. So every time you have a John Wayne voice, you stop the communication from people below so that what happens is the male-dominated hierarchical style in the past cut off information from the bottom up, whereas females will tend to keep it in place. But there will be a transition. When we promote females, they will initially act like males. And we've got to get through that, and I don't know how long that's going to take. I think it's going to take a while. <laughs> yeah, I do too. Yeah, and going early to your earlier point about leadership in this modern life is more about you not providing the answers, yeah. but uh, get, uh, helping your people around you mm -hmm. to help you design the answer. Yeah. These concepts you talk about, I think, uh, relate directly Correct. to that. Correct. It's, now, the mateship thing, particularly in our Australian culture, uh, I think it plays very strong. You've, you've, you've heard me talk to you about how my desire is 
to help people understand how they can separate their person from their position. So in terms of what is the difference in mateship and how it fits, there is some research done by AT&T International, and it said, in the United States, how would you define quality? The Americans would say it works the first time. The Germans would say the specificities of it are very clear. The French would say it's connected with beauty. The Australians would say it doesn't work without relationship. Wow. That's AT&T. Yeah. yeah. What does that say about our culture? It says that if we continue to stay in a male-dominated hierarchical situation, we'll be fine because we'll have very clear expectations. Half the population will support it. The other half will absolutely hate it. If we want to go to a different definition of quality, such as sustainability, which none of those four cultures mention, yeah. you've got to have both male and female components to it. You've got to have both the relationship and you have to have the issues. The female brain can go to the right and the left side hemisphere and the corpus callosum, the connection between the two, has five times more energy than the male brain. That's not very fair, but as a male- But that's what it is? Yeah. The concepts we're talking about in helping leaders become the best they can be, particularly around the way they appear, the way they present, the way they can design their interactions around the context. And I've heard you talk about context and nuance uh, repeatedly. Is it your view that these concepts can be learned for, um, you know, for, for a young leader yeah. who maybe is a bit, bit short in some of these ways, maybe they're a bit, uh, a bit too um, approachability oriented, not enough credibility oriented. Can, can, they, yeah. can they evolve? So let's go back to the bigger issue in terms of how do we hire? Because that's what we're talking about. Okay. From that, then we can go to how do we promote? All right, so when we hire, from a nonverbal standpoint, I recommend three aspects of the interview. Number one, what do you see on paper? Number two, what do you see when they're in the interview? And then number three, pretend the interview is over, shake hands, do any kind of nonverbals to indicate it's stopped then ask them to go for a walk in the plant. Ask them for, to go for a walk around the building. And as you are walking, you get the third part of the interview, which is inference. So instead of what does the paper say, what do they do when they're doing the actual interview? Because that's really it's, it's rehearsed. Bit, it can be very contrived, yeah. So then one of the things you have to figure out as the interviewer, what are two values, traits that I have to have from this person for the job position I'm thinking of putting them in. Example, let's say that it's gonna be highly stressful. If I ask during the second phase, the actual face-to-face -face interview, tell me how you handle stress, I will get a rehearsed answer. But if I say, by the way, what did you do where you lived last before you moved here just to relax? And let's say they said, um, I went surfing in the summertime and skiing in the wintertime. As you're walking around the plant, you just casually, because now you're person to person, instead of position to position, when's the last time you surfed? How many times did you go skiing last winter? And if it's a very low number, you just got your answer to whether you can hire the person or not hire the person. So inference is one of the finest ways that you can 
finish your interview process. The other thing that we all know and we've written about for the last 30 years in leadership books, try not to hire for what they bring to the table. Try to hire for what they could add to the table once they're here. So then the question is, my inference is, how well do you learn on your own when it's not assigned? So tell me, what's your hobby? Yeah. And as they talk about it, do they talk about anything that's professional development? Or is it hobbies away from? Yeah. That difference indicates to me that we have a lifelong learner. Because normally what we do is when I look at the paper and it says you have these degrees, I know you, you know how to learn if it's prescribed learning. Do you know how to learn because you enjoy it? That's so different. Which is a very different question. Completely. Yeah. So what, what's in store for those leaders who get to that very comfortable place where they don't see themselves as needing to learn? Yeah. And I see this sometimes. It's pretty sad, actually. Yeah. Um, what's the reality for them for the rest of their time in, this, in their career? If it is a male hierarchical system, they get promoted. If it is not, if it's based on merit, they will not get promoted. And oftentimes, if they're there for about 10 years in a mid-management position, we as a system have to figure out where we're going to put them so it doesn't appear like a demotion because we have to put someone else in the position they're occupying because we just doubled the number of reports that come to them for their leadership. Thank you. Um, I'm gonna, we're going to wrap this up, but before we do, um, I'm going to provide you five questions. This is something I do with each of my guests. Um, so you're good to go? Yep. Okay, let's, let's have, a, have a shot at it then. Um, the first question, Michael, is um, what do you wish you really understood? Uh, Einstein said, I wish I just had a glimpse of what lies below everything we do. That's my desire. I just, I want to understand the patterns of nonverbal communication that is cross-culturally accurate. And every time I think I know it, I don't. <laughs> it's, it, there's a, that expression about the more I know, the more I realize I don't know, yeah. which is something that, which, which has become very true for me. Second question, what do you wish that other people understood about you? I think I have an obligation to sort out what I can do and what it can teach other people to do. I end up having what I call four levels of training. Remind people what they already know. Give them mastery. Take more complex skills and make sure I tell them how they can learn. And then if I have a really important audience and I have to get permission from them, I got something you don't have, you need to know it. I call it showing off. And so I will show off when I need to, but that is really not my desire. I would rather transfer my skills that are transferable. It's a means to an end. Yes. Fair. The, the next question, question three, um, and this is a little bit odd, but we'll see how you go. What's the strangest question anyone has ever asked you? Probably, how did I know that Gail and I, my wife, we would do so well? Because I can't answer it. That's a great answer. I can't answer. Yeah, and and um, maybe people should be more comfortable in their life that there maybe there might be some questions that they can't answer. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Uh, culturally, uh, I think it 
particularly the Australian culture, um, you do see occasionally that desire that the leader needs to know everything, and which is so counterintuitive. Question four, what type of leader do you prefer seeing? Oh, 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 uh, charismatic. One who understands their person and their position. When people are being functional, they go to their person. When people are being dysfunctional, if it is temporary, stay cool, they'll come back, it's seasonal. If they're chronically dysfunctional, kick ass. Make the point, be direct, be honest. Never anger, never, never, never anger. anger. Which is um, a real challenge for some people. Yeah. To, to and, I, and I know that the training that you've done for many, many years yeah. has helped people get away from that, which is really important. If we talk about young leaders, veteran leaders, the biggest thing that you and I both agree on is they have blind spots. So now the question is self with you is reflected on how you operate with other people. So now the question is, how do you discover your blind spots? I wanna suggest that there are two questions that Dr. Eric Allenbaugh asked. Does the organization or the person have self-reflection? And secondly, do they have self-honesty? You can have one of those and still not be able to operate successfully in terms of change. So then the question is, if you're a leader, find the people around you that their reaction to you indicates if you're in your norm baseline or if you're acting differently. That to me is the key. It is more than just you reflecting on yourself. You need outside people. For instance, all of the time and money we spend on Myers-Briggs, DISC. Yeah, preference okay. styles. Yeah. Why aren't we having people fill it out on each other instead of themselves? Yeah. Because you're, you're already in your blind spot. Get other people to do it. You get a completely different norm. The final question, and this should be quite easy for you, but I shouldn't say that because that provides a context which may be unfair. How do you prefer to deliver bad news? In person? by text message, which is a very common thing in this day and age with the younger generation, or by carrier pigeon? Probably a carrier pigeon that's wounded, so it takes a long time before it gets there and I can leave. No, uh, person to person. If I'm um, delivering bad news, I would hope that there's been a process that the bad news has been a part of, because if it is a surprise to the recipient, I've not done my job. Great answer. One of the um, possible answers to one of your four or five questions is I have a big statue in my backyard. It weighs uh, 12 ton. It's a That's huge- That's a big statue. <laughs> it has 17 um, figures, people in it. It is a duplicate of um, a statue that I saw in Los Angeles that was built in 1904 and it's called the mystery of life. And what it does is it takes each stage of our existence where we think we know the bloody answer, and it starts off with uh, a child looking at a um, little chick that's coming out of the shell. It moves then into family consolation where you have brother and sister holding hands. It moves to um, a mother breastfeeding. I'm sorry, just before that, it moves to two people, their first kiss. Then it goes into breastfeeding. Then it goes into academic, and you have a professor scratching his head. Then you have some religious people 
that are doing the mystic of life. And then you have a skeptic that is there. Every time I look at that statue, I can picture when I was at each of those stages. And then I'm comfortable with the fact that whatever I think I know is going to be replaced in time with the next phase of what's going on. It, it speaks to self-awareness, doesn't it? And it's one of the things that if I could give a, a young leader something early in their time, it would be self-awareness to ask themselves the questions that need to be asked. Michael, thank you very much. That's it. That's the end of it. I thank you, sir, for what you, what you do thank you. for leaders across this um, planet. And I look forward to you helping us and other organisations on this incredibly rich, enjoyable, terrifying journey that leadership and maybe people development more generally is. So um, uh, thank you and have a great day. My pleasure.